If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is The Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. And without further ado, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today is Shlomo Freund. Shlomo is an entrepreneur, writer, and speaker. He's the founder of Free Financial Self, where he teaches people how to achieve financial freedom. He's also the founder of App in China, a startup he founded a few years ago where he helps companies launch and promote their apps in China. Some of his notable clients include Duolingo, The Economist, Microsoft, and a lot more. He's here on the podcast today to tell us a little bit about himself, his business experiences, his entrepreneurial journey, and all the cool stuff he's up to these days. So with that said, I'm pleased to have Shlomo on the show to tell us more about how to become the Bulletproof Entrepreneur. So Shlomo, welcome to the show. Hello, Chi. How are you? Great being here. Thank you for inviting. Oh, my pleasure, Shlomo. My pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm at a snowy weather here in the northeast U.S., uh, New ah. Jersey. Uh, it's just these very moments, super snowy, and we're all, the whole family is here in the house. You can't leave. Wow. Take it out. Yeah. <laughs> Especially given it was supposed to be the first day of spring, I can only imagine the setback. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the first day of spring, uh, second day of spring now. Yeah. Cool. So Shlomo, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. How did you get started in your entrepreneurial journey? Hmm. So my entrepreneurial journey started a long time ago, about, uh, let's say, 15 years ago. Um, I was uh, working in Israel uh, and, you know, as I was working, I also doing my own projects. Back then, it wasn't startups, it wasn't uh, a company, uh, but these were a lot of initiatives about uh, internet marketing. Uh, so that was affiliate marketing, uh, it was uh, email list, things like that. Um, and over time, it got evolved to other things. So I've done uh, several companies related to a China business, which we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, the last two, which are App in China, which is live and kicking in Beijing, mm-hmm. and the Free Financial Self, with this, which is the last one. Mm, great. So, tell us a little bit about how you how you actually transitioned over from you know going from college, working in Israel, to becoming a China expert, to also helping companies launch their businesses or their apps in China. So. It all started in 2007, so we're 11 years mm. forward now. Yeah. Um, my brother-in-law decided that he wants his uh, family, his kids, to know Chinese because it's very, very important, and they went to learn Chinese after uh, they, they they went to learn Chinese for two for two months in Dalian, which is northeast China. Uh, and I joined them. I was in between jobs, and uh, I thought that was a, a, a good thing to do. So I joined for two two months of Chinese studies, and this is when my China romance started. Mm. 
Um, and, um, but that was long time ago. Um, and as, as I mentioned, uh, after that, I went back to Israel. I did a few, uh, uh, failing, failing projects or startups related to China business. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a webinar business, uh, and we tried to bring Chinese books to, uh, Israel because back then, um, there were more and more Chinese uh, people uh, learning Chinese in Israel. But, uh, now I understand that was ahead of time. Um, now we would probably be much more successful. Mm. Um, but eventually, um, after I got married, uh, after a year, uh, me and my wife decided that, uh, why not try and go and, and live in China? We really wanted to do that, see how it is, um, maybe create something there. We didn't really know uh, what's going to happen. So we packed our backpacks and moved to, Ch- moved to Beijing. Uh, that was the end of 2011. Um, and it took about uh, a year to a year and a half to really um, realize what's the what uh, what I'm creating there, why I'm there, uh, and this is when uh, App in China was born. I, I tried a few things there before mm-hmm. before that, but uh, App in China is obviously the the most uh, successful one, and as yeah. I said, still running. Yeah. So uh, what what you just mentioned there, you said your brother-in-law wanted his kids to learn Chinese, and then you also jumped in to to take a two-month intensive. So why is learning Chinese so important from your perspective, even before you started your company in China? Even back... Why was it so important? Why was it so important? Mm -hmm. So even back then... um, I think when China was not yet so much on the radar mm-hmm. as today, um, it was already pretty obvious this is where the world is going. Yeah. By the way, uh, 20 years ago, yeah, about 20 years ago, um, no, maybe a little, a little less, let's say 18 years ago, uh, my mother told to my twin sister, you should go and study Chinese. This is the future. Mm. Even, even before that. <laughs> wow. Um, so she did took uh, two majors, but uh, took, taking two majors uh, was too too difficult. So she had to give up Chinese, although she did start. So we have Chinese running in the family for a long time. Wow. Um, so yeah, so it was definitely something something there, and and it was clear that this is where the world is going, mm-hmm. uh, and and more so now, obviously these yeah. days where um, I'm I'm very involved in what's going on in, you know, China tech, China entrepreneurship. So obviously, uh, my mind is biased towards that. But mm-hmm. I think that when somebody who is not related to anything on what he does in China can still feel it. Mm. So the environment of moving into China to start a business, um, I'm sure it must have been a little bit rocky. But like you said, you started several things, they failed until app in China kicked off. So Tell us a little bit more about, you know, when it comes to starting a startup or an entrepreneurial venture in China, what were some of the initial challenges and also what were some of the peculiarities you faced? So when I arrived to China, uh, entrepreneurship was not a common thing, Mm. uh, not among uh, Chinese at all. And there wasn't a lot of information also for entrepreneurs coming to China. Okay. Um, I then started a blog, it still exists, called Startup Noodle, mm-hmm. um, which helps entrepreneurs understanding what the environment is like. Um, and slowly, um, 
it, it's it's actually very exciting thinking about this because uh, I feel that I really helped creating a little bit of the ecosystem mm -hmm. in Beijing entrepreneurship. So I joined a few entrepreneurship programs and then I became to organize and lead uh, the Lean Startup Meetup in Beijing. Now it's called the uh, Beijing Entrepreneurs Meetup, mm -hmm. uh, which is the largest the largest meetup in Beijing, or now it's maybe the second largest meetup in Beijing, but we have we have events running and, and that was part of forming the community or forming the entrepreneurship community. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, there are so many events in Beijing that you can't uh, decide which one you want to go first. Mm. But back then, there were very, very few. And yes, there were ex other expats. I'm not the first expat doing building a company in China yeah. uh, or moving there because to be an entrepreneur. Uh, but that was not as developed um, as now. Mm. Yeah, because you would think that you know going in there with a the language barrier and other things... You know, it'll be a little bit difficult, especially at the time you were going, you know, yes, granted, there are lots of experts doing business, especially from manufacturing perspective, but from the tech side in the news, even if, as I think back seven, eight years ago, what, what you were really hearing out of China was basically China is good at replicating stuff and not being innovative. So when this entrepreneurial drive started while you were there and um, with the meetups and everything popping up, I'm sure you started seeing things shift from not just being able to replicate stuff, but also start to innovate and create and generate the solutions to problems that are local. Definitely, definitely. I mean, as you realize that what's going on today in China started then, it's pretty amazing. I mean, look at um, mobile payments as example. Mm -hmm. I mean, where in the world you don't use cash anymore? I mean, big cities in, in China, people use WeChat. That's it. That's what people are using to pay. They don't need anything, really anything else. Mm. Just their, their, their phone with the WeChat account. Um, so that's so, so advanced. Uh, and this is, this is because, by the way, this is because in China, people skipped the, they're a mobile only country. They mm -hmm. skip the computer mm. uh, or the desktops and the laptops part. And every, every, uh, uh, people in the villages have smartphones. So they're very used to that. And that's very natural for them to incorporate those payments in there. Uh, I'm not saying that in the villages they're paying with with uh, WeChat. Maybe they are, but uh, it, it's definitely part of their lives. And you see smartphones everywhere. Yeah. Uh, compared now to being in the U.S., it's it's unbelievable where the West is and where China is in mm. terms of te adopting technology. So let's talk a little bit more about um, your growth strategies you use to help companies gain traction in China. Sure. Um, so the problem with the Chinese market, the Android app market, that is very, very fragmented. Um, so there are nowadays around 400 different Android stores. So imagine that you want to put to get Chinese users. You can't. Uh, so you'd say, okay, I'll put this on Google Play China. So big, big news there. Google Play China is blocked. So mm. even that technically it is possible, you won't gain any users. Okay. Uh, it has a very small market share, uh, probably a few foreigners, not a few, but let's say the foreigners are using this when they're using a VPN, so they have access, maybe yeah. some Chinese, but 
except of that, uh, it's basically it's basically blocked and very hard to get. And also, uh, using with the other, I mean, using the other stores to download apps is much much easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all Chinese companies catering to the to cater to the Chinese audience. So obviously, uh, they know they know what they're doing. So a lot of the job is the operational work of getting our clients apps on those stores uh and this because of regulation there's a lot of documents around this there's a lot of back and forth uh let's say the app is rejected for some reason so you communicate with the stores understand why then mm-hmm. sending another version uh it's not a 10 minute work like uh like in google play where yeah. you just send it and that's it uh so that's definitely something which is uh currently very hard to do and and regulations also change all the time mm-hmm. so uh things are very different from uh four and a half or f- almost five years ago when 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 starting uh, and you always have to keep up with the changes and the, the store uh, let's say a month ago uh, said this app is okay and then regulation change and now you need to do something else uh so you really need to be uh, hands-on uh, this part and this is our main job then there's also uh duplicates there yeah. are lots of duplicates in china mm-hmm. uh, we have a tool on our website called app in china or not uh, where we help the clients understand if their app is already in the chinese market um, while uh, they never actually uploaded there mm-hmm. so what happens is that the stores themselves uh, scrape google play and they upload the apps uh to their store, or sometimes one Chinese store takes from another Chinese store. So you're ending up with lots and lots of duplicates, which, ov- which obviously you have no control on the versions. Uh, you have no control on the content. Um, not to mention that except of these, let's say, unofficial distributed apps, you also have hacked apps. Somebody took your app and uh, uh, hacked it and put some kind of, uh, let's say, an ad, a Chinese ad network. And mm-hmm. then he used your branding to just make money out of it. Mm. You have no control whatsoever. So we yeah. also uh, help uh, our clients a lot with this with this thing. And there are a bunch of other services uh, so people ask, so our clients ask about, uh, localization and, uh, marketing, uh, so it's all plethora of, of services to help and grow your app business in China. Mm, okay. Okay. That's interesting. And what about from the other side? So you coming from Israel and being in the tech space, both in China and in Israel, I'm sure you are in a position where you can help, you know, Israeli or Chinese companies make cross-border investments in right. either country. So talk a little bit about that, you know, what were some of the synergies you saw and uh, you created between Chinese and Israeli companies and entities doing business in both countries? So I did uh, work uh, on that uh, sector for about two years, mm-hmm. uh, initiating my, uh, my own uh, business around this. It wasn't a... Uh, I didn't grow it very much. Obviously, uh, by now I moved away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, back then, again, this this was part of, let's say, the booming uh, entrepreneurship scene in China. But it's not so much about the entrepreneurship, but the understanding that there is a huge entrepreneurship uh, scene and tech going on in Israel, mm-hmm. and then a lot of Chinese investors starting to come to Israel and uh, realize that they can acquire technologies or, or uh, acquire a whole company or, or 
any synergy that they have. Um, and they were looking at uh, starting with back then, not back then, I mean, uh, even before I started, they were all, already the looking at, let's say, the uh, core big technologies, let's say, um, energy, um, agriculture. It's, it's not... Uh, it's it's not like let's say an app. It's not it's like less of consumer stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd uh, I'd uh, define it this way. And slowly they started moving down the food chain for more uh, uh, more kinds of companies. So now I don't think there is any sector that the Chinese investors are not interested in with Israeli companies. Maybe something which is very, um, you know, something that is not that unique, like a internet or, or a specific uh, mobile app that doesn't have China. I mean, going with this in China is very, very hard. Although there are some investments that I, I've heard of in this field as well, but it's fewer than, than the other sectors. Mm, okay, okay. So now let's transition from those businesses to now your new venture, which is Free Financial Self. So what led you down this path of um, helping people achieve financial freedom? So I've been... Um, I'll start by saying this. The first section that I read in the newspaper since I was very little mm-hmm. was the finance section. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe the first page, but the financial section is the first until today. This is the one I'm reading when I'm reading a new paper, a newspaper. Almost nobody, I think, now reads a newspaper. Mm. But um, that's that was the most interesting uh, one for me. So I always was... Uh, uh, interested and, and involved in this kind of, of thing. Um, and throughout the years, I started talking more about this and uh, learn more about this, about investments, uh, stocks investments. I took a, a few courses about uh, real estate investments. And this started, uh, I started investing, uh, let's say, 14 or 15 years ago, Um when I, I started, you know, have a job and, and, and uh, being uh, and supporting myself. So I've learned to, I'm, I'm now investing in stocks. I'm now investing in real estate. So I'm, I'm, I'm slowly, um, obviously, growing my net worth. Mm-hmm. But the point is that I, I, over time, I started talking about this with friends and family. And they started asking me for advice. Okay. And I realized that I really like doing this and helping people with this kind of thing. Um, so after um, Happy in China, uh, I wanted to do something that I'm really passionate about. And I'm very passionate about free financial self and helping other with their personal finances and financial freedom. Mm-hmm. And particularly for entrepreneurs, I mean, entrepreneurs don't have a lot of financial stability in their lives. Yes. And uh, I can help them being more financially stable uh, with with uh, doing the right choices with their finances, mm-hmm. not their company finances. Mm-hmm. I think that there are many many people who advise about the company finances, but more about their personal finances. Yeah. Because when a lot of people start their businesses, whether a startup or whatever, <laughs> they typically tend to go all in. 
in terms of trying to invest their time and their money in their business, but then they put their personal finances to the backbone of believing that when their company blows up and you know they make a great exit or they oh, have, yeah. you know, they're going okay. to get rich and then that's going to give them the liquidity event that will keep them financially free and set for life. But Right. So, and for some reason, 99.9% of the cases, it doesn't happen. Yes, we don't. <laughs> yes it doesn't. <laughs> so, so what are some of the steps to take, you know, to start approaching? Because I've noticed that everything is kind of systematic and scientific. You can't just um, hope that your company is going to exit, which we all know it doesn't really happen. But what are some of the step, initial steps an entrepreneur can take to at least give themselves some type of financial cushion as they're building their business on. Um, so the thing is this, uh, an entrepreneur must understand that although he has his business and he needs to obviously make the most effort in it because he wanted to succeed, as you said, um, the personal financial life is still, still there, which he has to take care of. And it's really important to start as soon as possible because there is a lot of significant significance if you start early uh-huh. because of a compounding effect of your savings and investment. The earlier you start, the better you'll be uh, afterwards uh-huh. in the future. So I'll, I'll, I, I'm asked sometimes how how soon should I really start investing and saving? So I'll give an example. My daughter, she's now two years old, and about a year ago, I invested for her in an. This time I did this with an ETF mm-hmm. um, for a long term. So when she'll be uh, twenty or twenty-one, I'll give her all that money to start. But I knew that I'm giving her. Uh, 20 years of head start with with compound interest. That's a lot of money in 20 years. Now it's not that much money. It is a a nice sum, but it's not like crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that will be a nice start in 20 years. So, of course, uh, when you're an entrepreneur in your uh, 20s, 30s, 40s, obviously um, (laughs) you're way behind this example. Yeah, It's never, never, never too uh, late to start. And if you start later, obviously, then it's harder, but at least uh, do whatever you can to be responsible for your future. Hmm. And counting on your startup, yes, it's important. I'm not saying not believing in your startup or not believing in your in your uh, ideas. I'm, I'm totally in favor of that. I'm an entrepreneur myself, and I understand this mindset. But don't neglect your personal financial life. Mm. And one more thing is that sometimes people um, work so hard on their startup. It's also actually also for people, you know, with, with family and with regular jobs. But again, we're, we're focusing on entrepreneurs here. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, uh, they're thinking, um, Oh, wait, I just forgot the point. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, well. Hold on. That's all right. Uh, 
I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry to have to cut this out. <laughs> nah, no, no worries, no worries. We'll get on it. All right. So, but what are the principles you've used to help you get on the path to financial freedom? Is is um achieving a minimalist state for you and your family, which is you know traveling light, not not spending a lot or acquiring stuff and also being digital nomads and um i read somewhere that your home base in um in israel is a yurt am i saying right. that correct yeah that's correct yeah so so tell us a little bit about those practical principles that you are applying for yourself and your family because i know doing this is also creating creating excess cash when you when you live minimally you can travel you know, you're not tied down to anything, so you don't have all those That's recurring right. expenses. So t- talk more about some of those practical steps. Sure. So we decided um, after moving back from China, it took us about a year. We we lived somewhere else. And then we d- we decided, I mean, for, for a few years, we wanted to build a yurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so we built that. Um, no, explain for people who don't know, what what's a yurt? Because I don't sure. know, I have to look it up. <laughs> so if you do, uh, I think, a Wikipedia, ch- a Wikipedia search, uh, it would be a Mongolian tent. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically a, a one round space made out of wood. Mm. And you can divide it into rooms, which we have a, a bedroom and and uh, and a toilet, of course, with with a with a bath. Mm-hmm. And you and basically there are no walls, so the, there is a, a wooden, uh, let's say, wooden planks that that are the walls. Mm-hmm. But except of that, it's basically insulation, and then then the at the outside is basically PVC plastic. Mm. And, um, so it's, it's one space. Um, it, it is when you touch the walls, it's actually, there isn't really a wall there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what I can say. Also, um, you hear very much of what's going on outside. So yeah. it's a very nice and cozy feeling, especially when it's raining. Um, it's, it's actually a pretty nice feeling here, hearing the rain. We know exactly when the rain is and how strong it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so you also feel feel very part of nature, very part of nature actually, okay. with these things. Uh, so this is what a yurt is, and um, we decided we're going to build one. It's not huge. It's uh, we have uh, fifty square meters at the bottom and another eight square meters uh, at our loft upstairs, and um, it's basically enough for what we need. More than enough though for what we need. Um, and it was fairly uh, low cost to build, and it's very uh, flexible to change. So if we want changes in the future, it would also be pretty low cost to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also enables us, um, while we travel, um, to rent it out. Yeah. So we can also you know, save more on travels. And also while we are, um, at home, uh, so many of the weekends, we anyway go to family to our families in Israel on the weekends. So we would rent it out on Airbnb. So if you can go to Airbnb, you can find our yurt. Um, and people come for, uh, three, sometimes four nights. We even had longer times. So because we live there that we don't accept every booking, of course, yeah. uh, because we still want to live in our home. Uh, but when this actually coincides with, with our plans or we plan around our, our bookings, that actually works great. So it does help to, to also, uh, uh, make extra income from that. Mm. 
So basically, okay. you're maximizing every resource you have available to you. Yeah, I do that definitely. It's not only with with the with with our house; it's also uh, a matter of of uh, tax planning and and other things that you need to do. Uh, in order to to maximize your your benefits and what you can do, mm-hmm. but Airbnb is a really easy one. If you even if you have a, a room in, in your house, I mean, why not use it? People think, oh, it's a stranger in my house. It's like, yes, it is, but maybe it's worth for you thinking if that's if this is something that you do if you need extra income. And mm-hmm. don't think about this maybe only fifty dollars because think about this fifty dollars compounding over 30 years this is what you should do okay. you should save it and invest it um so this is then a significant amount it's not only those fifty dollars yeah so okay. that's really important thing to, to think about so if somebody were to call you and say hey shlomo you know um, I heard what you said on this podcast. I'm really struggling financially, but I do see that there's an importance that I need to take um, control of my life and my destiny and my future by start working towards getting on the path to financial freedom. When when you get that call, what are some of the initial you know consultative or diagnostic discussions you have with that person before they now have to go and start implementing some of the strategies and the tactics? Mm-hmm. So I would help people first, I will help people first understand what their financial goal is. There is a difference if you plan to live, if you now live, let's say, in the U.S., but you later on in your life uh, ready, want, willing to move to, uh, let's say, Southeast Asia, where it's very cheap. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably many of the people living in the U.S. can already retire in their 30s or 40s to Southeast Asia. Question: If you want to do it, so it's all a, it's all a matter first of defining how much you want to be worth and at what age mm-hmm. and what's your future plans. Okay. And from there, you can uh, uh, let's say project backwards, uh, plan um, to see what kind of investments you need to do in order to get to that goal. What kind of savings you need? Are you on a negative cash flow or a positive cash flow? If you're a negative cash flow, I'll help you get into a positive cash flow. So you also have, you actually have something to invest and save, to save and invest. Um, If this is a positive one, great. Then we now need to get to the next, uh, next stage of where do I invest? For how long? What are my investments opportunities? Um, would that be a business? Would that be real estate? Would that be the stock market? Um, there are a lot of possibilities out there. You just need to plan ahead and use them in your favor to reach your financial goal and financial freedom. Mm. So it's all about figuring out where you want to be and then working backwards to achieve your goal. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You need to plan ahead. You need to, and you need to be very intentional about this. Mm. It's not going to happen if you're just going to live your life from paycheck to paycheck um, and not thinking about. It. You need to plan ahead and really be ready for this and track it. I mm. have a, a post on my blog for uh, for a few uh, months already. I think it's almost six months now where I record my net worth, mm-hmm. my net worth. So. 
this is to inspire other people to do the same. Yeah. So they would know if they make progress and if they don't make progress, why they don't make progress. I write that analysis of where I think I am, what I should improve, what I think that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, afraid of that I should be more careful about. These are all things that you really important to be aware of. Oh. Yeah, I like that. And um, the thing that stuck out with me is basically, you know, leveraging platforms like um, Airbnb, like you said, or, and, and, even, and even as an extension to that, you know, things like the gig economy and all that. Because when people say, you know, you're leaving paycheck to paycheck, yes, you have that situation facing you, but um, you can cut out things like, you know, watching TV at night to take um, take the time to you know drive on Uber and make some money there because um, you can, you can, yeah, of course, yeah, and that that also like every little bit you take, you know, away from you know leisure time into investing in yourself pays you dividends down the road because it helps you achieve your goals faster. That's right, but you also always need to think about the opportunity cost. So yeah. let's say that you drove an Uber 8 to 12 each evening, but mm -hmm. instead of that, you can work on a business that in the future would make much more money for you, mm -hmm. then obviously weigh those. But as I said before, awareness is the yeah. most important. Just weigh that, see what your options are, and then think what's, would, what would be the best for you. Best use of time. Exactly. Oh, okay, okay. So as we start to wind on the sh show slow, <laughs> as we start That's to wind, yeah, <laughs> as we start to wind on the show slow, slow mo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are some of your um, your favorite tools, tips, tricks, apps, or books that have helped you? You know, stay sharp as an entrepreneur as well as a thought leader and speaker. You write for several blogs. You used to write for Forbes. So, what are some of the tools you've consumed or you continue to consume in the past that keep you ahead of the curve in your profession okay um i'll give you two um so one wonderful wonderful book that i'm reading right now is called uh, uh scale up or scaling up okay and this is uh the author have a very complicated name so we'll have to look it up yeah Vern, um, and this Vern, Vern, yeah harnish yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's his name. Yeah. So um, he really teaches a lot about how to scale up a business. What are the pitfalls uh, in in a very uh, pragmatic way? It's not no fluff there. Mm -hmm. Very to the point and very very interesting uh, written. Um, and the second one that I've read about a a month or two months ago is called Early Retirement Extreme, um, and this guy. Uh, shows uh, and and again you can add maybe in the show notes the the author name because I don't remember it. Okay. Um, and um, this guy shows what's the best utilization of your time and what you should do to retire early. Uh, and you can, it is achievable to retire at your thirties. Uh, uh, he even said in the twenties. It all depends on how much of your salary on your initial salary, you're actually saving. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've heard of people who are saving 80 to 90% wow. of their salary. And the average, I think, is about 10 to 15%. Yeah. This is why people are working uh, so late in their lives, because they're saving so, so little. So and little. just so little is actually compounding. Instead of 80 or 90%, it's only 10. Mm. 
agree. So that's agree. a very, very, it's a huge, huge difference. So that book also uh, taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a very philosophical book. And at the end, he has uh, a section which is very, very practical. So it's a combination of both. Yeah. And, I, and as you mentioned that, I also remember that um, uh, in addition to you working, you know, on your businesses and helping other people achieve um the path to financial freedom. Your wife also works in a remote job, which That's is right. which is another cool thing because a lot of people sit down and they think, okay, yes, I'm 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 either in New Jersey, New York, or Toronto or wherever. And you know, life is expensive here. That's one of the reasons why people don't save a whole lot. That's one of the reasons. That's not the entire reason. But looking at all things like, you know, getting remote jobs and um, acquiring the skills to be able to do that. Because I know in your blog, you talked about how your wife was a product manager and then she learned coding and became a quality um, analyst, I believe. She's now uh, uh, the uh, support manager okay. of, of the company. Yeah. And you, but, but with those skills, she's able to at least apply her trade from wherever she has an internet connection, correct? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, that was also um, intentional. Mm. I mean, um, she, part of our part of the thing was after she left her last job was to find a remote job, and she could have found a better. Let's say a, I can't say better. I can say a higher paying job in mm-hmm. Israel that is not remote. Mm-hmm. But that was a choice to reduce the amount that she gets, but that would be remote and then she can work from everywhere. Um, and that really increased our quality of life. So we have our, 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 uh, two year old with us the whole day and we're able to spend time with her and, uh, watch her growing and, uh, also able to do our, our work while we're with her. So that's definitely helps. And obviously we're not standing in any traffic jams or wasting money on on gas going to going to our workplace mm-hmm. so so that obviously um helps a lot so but for people who can't do that who can choose to do remote although i highly recommend um there are some things that you still can do to to improve i mean you can uh first of all try to uh try to let's say, handle with only a single car or maybe no car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll be surprised of what we can do. I mean, people think like walking uh, a few kilometers or taking the bus is so, so hard, so inefficient. But maybe it is efficient. Maybe you can work while you're on the bus or maybe do something else mm-hmm. or maybe it's a podcast while you bike. I mean, there are a lot of solutions that people just are not aware of. Yeah. Um, and for people who want to take uh, vacations, as example, I would say accumulate all your yearly vacation time to maybe a month or whatever, or two months. Let's say if you're working in Europe, you probably have almost two months of accumulated vacation. <laughs> yeah, and um, then go to a, a to a vacation. Go to your vacation to a, to a, a low cost place and rent your place where the high costs. You hmm. even go, might make money on your vacation. vacation. That's and if you can, some of the time also ask your employer to work remote. Then it's not everything is actually vacation. So maybe you're not totally location dependent, but at least you got some of that and work toward that and be intentional about it. Try to get more and more of that. Oh. If this is what you want to do, go ahead and get it. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, 
I don't know what else to say, guys. It's like, you know, the tools are really just there at your fingertips. You only have to, like, reach out and um, and uh, research and, of course, figure out what you want to do and then just go do it. But uh, before I let um, Shlomo go, tell us a little bit more about where we can find you, connect you, and, of course, possibly reach out to you if we want to learn more about um, um, free financial self and any other topic. Sure. So um, you can reach me at freefinancialself.com. Um, and I also have an Instagram account, which is surprisingly at freefinancialself. So you can also follow me here and follow me there and connect me, connect with me there. Uh, look up my name on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Um, I post a lot of videos with uh, financial uh, advice and Q&A. So if you want to... Uh, uh, send me send me uh, your question or either on live inst- or live instagram that i do a q and a you're most welcome i'd love to get your your questions and connect uh, these are the places great and i'll put all those links in the show notes once this episode is edited and ready to go so shlomo it's really been a pleasure having you on the show i want to thank you for taking the time to come out to share your story and your words of wisdom with the audience and of course with me Thank you very much, Heath. Thank you very much for inviting me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneurial Podcast at www.odogwu.com.